Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday. Almost said Monday because we didn't do a show on Monday. Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you are all having a fantastic week so far. I hope you also had a fantastic weekend because, again, I didn't see any of you on Monday or you didn't get to hear my beautiful, my beautiful voice on Monday because if you know... Mock Draft 4.0, I released that on Monday. I took all weekend to get the finishing touches on it. When I was done, Sunday night at like 9 o'clock, I was like, I'm not record. I'm going to die if I record a show. Because I know it doesn't seem like a lot of work, because I'm just talking to a microphone. But my brain's got to be working. Then when my brain's spinning 100 miles an hour, that I, I can't really fall asleep. And that's more of a, a me problem than a everybody else problem, but it was, I didn't want to record a show Monday. It's the first show that I have missed since I think January. Now I could be wrong about that. And only reason I missed shows from about December, mid December to mid January is because I was recovering from my mouth surgery that we had where I got my bone graft done for my eventual implant. That's the last show I think I've missed. Other than that, We've been pretty on top of recording shows at a re- at, on a consistent basis. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, a show has come out for at least the last, what, month and a half? Two months? Maybe over two months? I don't know. But we've been, but that was when I'm sorry. I apologize for missing it. And I had, I had stuff I wanted to talk about on Monday's show that we didn't end up getting to. So obviously, the last show we did, March Madness, was just kicking off. Now we are into the Sweet 16 of March Madness, and this is no surprise to anybody. We've been very vocal about this prior to March Madness, about me not watching a ton of basketball this year. College basketball, no, just basketball in general, I should say. My bracket sucks, as most people's out there sucks. That's not news, okay? What's news is, to some people out there, and this is why if you watched the Logan Blackman Show video yesterday... I would greatly appreciate it if you haven't already. Mock Draft Minute Episode 2, go and watch that. It's very good. And as you can see in the video, I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says Draft and then air quotes expert. It's not Draft Expert, it's Draft Expert. I th- even just hearing my voice, you can tell when I'm using air quotes instead of just saying, you know, Mel Kuyper's a draft expert. Not Mel Kuyper's a draft expert. That's the thing with these kinds of <laughs> these situations. March Madness and the NFL draft, and just drafts in general, are very similar things. More than you, more than when you start thinking about it more and more, there are similar things where you have people going, this is an expert at this. It's predictions. You cannot be an expert at predictions when your predictions aren't even right half the time. Like when I was watching Selection Sunday and we went through the entire bracket. There were games I listened to Seth Davis go, oh, they're going to win that game. Oh, they're going to win that. Two games in particular were Winthrop beating Villanova and Georgetown beating Colorado. Both of those games did not happen. But he's like the face of March Madness experts. I go on Bleacher Report because, as I said, I didn't watch a ton of basketball this year. So I don't know who are the really good teams, who's the sleeper team and stuff like that. I should have just gone... On my first, my initial bracket, because of my, no, this is, this must be, must be said and must be stated. Me, myself, Logan, is an overthinker. I overthink things all the time, which is why I take so long to come, or why I was stressing so much about my NFL draft that came out Monday. 
I overthought it a thousand times. And I'll overthink the last mock draft I do on, when is it, April or May 25th? April 25th? I think that's the last Monday that we do, that I'm going to release a draft or somewhere around there. Maybe release the day of the draft. I don't know what we're going to do about that. But I overthink it. So I'm like, oh, this will be a good pick. I'm comfortable with this. And then I go to these credible websites that have these experts. And they tell me, no. You know, people that have actually watched college basketball this year. Have watched all of the games. All the teams in the tournament. They have seen these teams play. No one's an expert when it comes to predictions. Like this. No one could. Did, did anybody go out there? Because I there were some... I used to do this when I was younger. I didn't. I only made one bracket this year. When I was younger, I would make a best team wins bracket and the lower seed wins bracket to see which one would come out on top. Unless you did that, I don't know if there's a lot of people that chose Oral Roberts to beat Ohio State. I don't think that was a very... And I don't think there were a lot of people that said Oral Roberts would make the Sweet 16. I don't think that... I don't think there were a lot of people that said that. I didn't hear any of the experts say that. They didn't say Oral Roberts was going to beat Ohio State. Ohio State just played a great game against Illinois in the Big Ten Championship game. And little did we know, Illinois would lose their second round matchup against another Illinois team in Loyola, Chicago. So looking over my bracket, this is what I had. And there were certain games, and I know this is this is going to sound stupid, because you listen to these people like, oh, I, sh- I had that one. Which you can easily do because it's a pick between two schools. Like, there's not a lot of thinking that goes, you either choose this one or you choose that one. There's not a lot of thinking that goes involved with like, oh, man, I could have had that. Well, no shit, you could have had that. You had a 50-50 shot at predicting the right game, the right outcome. But these ones, there were specific games that I looked at. And it's going to sound stupid when I say this because it's just going to sound like what I just said. But there are games, like, so my upsets, my big-time upsets that I had were USC, UCSB beating Creighton, okay? I thought Creighton was coming into the tournament with a lot of baggage. Turns out, they made the Sweet 16. I did have Ohio beating Virginia, so I'm pretty thrilled about that. I had Georgetown beating Colorado because, you know, Seth Davis told me Georgetown was going to beat Colorado, even though Georgetown squeaked into the tournament by winning the Big East tournament at, uh, what, a 13-12 and 12 record? But he told me they were going to beat them. What other ones did I have? What other big upsets did I had? I have Oregon. I had Oregon State over Tennessee. I did have that one, and then I had Winthrop over Illinois, Villanova because I was told that one would work. Games I switched. I should say this. Games I ended up switching on was Abilene Christian Texas because I looked at Abilene Christian's record. I saw Texas's record, and then I scrolled down to the bottom of the thing because on ESPN's bracket thing. You could scroll all the way down to the bottom, and it says the records of seed versus seed, and how many have won this year. That was my 13, four, 3 versus 14 game. One 14 seed has beaten a 3 seed in like that past however many brackets, however many years. So I was like, oh, that would be a good one. But these experts are telling me that Texas is going to win. They got Shaka Smart. He's tournament. He's been in the tournaments before. He's made Final Fours with small schools. But nope, I changed it. I changed it. And then I also had UCLA beating BYU. The experts told me BYU would win. I watched that game. 
UCLA was in control of that game the entire time. I had Syracuse advancing to the Sweet 16, and I changed it because Bleacher Report told me San Diego State would win. I had them going there because I liked Buddy Bayham. I thought it was a cool name, and I wanted them to go very far. Nope. Didn't happen. I changed it because the experts, quote-unquote experts, told me that would happen. I had North Texas beating Purdue and changed it because I saw certain experts having Purdue go all the way to the Final Four. And I said, well, they've watched Purdue more times than I have. I just thought it'd be fun to predict an upset there. Nope. Not that one. So I changed it Purdue. Didn't happen. When I came close to picking, but it wasn't, it. this was probably one of the other th- close games that I picked but ended up not doing, was Colgate versus Arkansas. I did un- end up almost picking Colgate in that one. I did pick Arkansas, but I did have Arkansas losing to Texas Tech, and they beat them by two. So, yeah, I don't want to hear experts. Name, like, this person's an expert at predicting. Do you consider your weatherman a weather expert when they're not right half the time? I don't think so. So that's why I have expert. Like, oh, you're an expert. Oh, you're an expert. Oh, no. Oh, oh no, you're an expert? That's not a thing. We shouldn't be labeling these people like this because that screwed up my bracket. In March Madness, the thing I've learned works the best is to go with your initial reaction. When you start overthinking it, you get things like this. Because, like, there's no... Oh, I think this would be an awesome upset. Because there's upsets in March Madness all the time. Every single seed this year, except for the 16 seed, won a game in the tournament this year. 1 through 15. All those teams, all those seeds, won a game. Except for the 16 seed, which has only won one game throughout its history of the NCAA tournament. That was UMBC beating Virginia a few years ago. But man. Like, you always joke about, like, moms or sisters doing very good in bracket challenges because they go like, oh, well, this is my favorite mascot out of the two. This is my favorite color. That's how it works out 90% of the time. It's not supposed to make sense. That's the why I call it March Madness. But then you overthink it and go, well, there's no way Texas loses to Albuquerque Christian, which was my, which was my thought process. Oh, there's no... BYU, there's no... They can't lose to... UCLA, they got a big dude at center. He's going to get all the rebounds. Well, little did I know, they're not even going to touch the basketball. And when they do, they'll miss shots. Or maybe that was Utah State. I can't remember. One of those two schools had a really massive center that was eating double-doubles. But, man, if you look at the Sweet 16 teams, Gonzaga, pretty predictable. Creighton, I guess you could say pretty predictable. They're a five-seed. USC beating Kansas, I had that. I changed that last minute. And USC throttled Kansas. Throttled. I'm going to skip who USC is playing and talk about that one separately in a little bit. We have Michigan, the lone Big Ten team left in the tournament. After the Big Ten beat the crap out of each other all season, there is one Big Ten team left in March Madness, and that is Michigan. That's crazy to think about. I have Florida State beating Michigan, so we'll see if that one ends up happening. But Florida State, they're in there as well. UCLA is playing Alabama. I have Alabama in the Final Four beating Florida State. Then you have on the Midwest bracket, 8 seed Loyola versus 12 seed Oregon State. Looking back at it, I probably should have done Loyola a little bit better than what I did. 
because they have an experienced coaching staff. They've been here, done that before, not too long ago, actually. So I should have put a little bit more respect on their name than having them lose, get bounced first round of Georgia Tech. That's my bad. Being a UNI, going to UNI, watching UNI basketball, watching Loyola, I should have known better. I apologize, Loyola. Oregon State, I contemplated them beating Oklahoma State, but I ended up going to Oklahoma State because Kay Cunningham was there, but that didn't matter because they lost. Then you have Syracuse versus Houston, which I had before I changed it because I'm a P word, which I'm not going to say right now. And then at the top of the bracket on the south, you got Baylor-Villanova, which is pretty, again, same thing as the, the west side. Or the, yeah, the west side where it's one versus five seed. That's pretty standard. And then Arkansas versus 15 seed Oral Roberts. Man. But the game that is most connected to people here in the beautiful state of Iowa involves the state's biggest university in the University of Iowa. They lost by 15 to Oregon. I can promise you, after watching that, <laughs> it was not even that close. Now, it was a very fun game to watch in the first half. If you don't like defense, that was your game to watch in the first half. Like, they were trading buckets every single time down the court. It was awesome to watch. And then towards the end of the half, Oregon went on a 10 nothing run, and my dad was out of town, so I was sitting in his office watching the game because I don't have a TV in my office. I'm not that cool yet. And we're sitting there, and I just leave to get lunch at halftime because I'm like, it's done. Oregon looked unstoppable. They just shot a three at the end of the first half, got fouled. So you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's over. There's certain points at certain games where you're like, okay, yeah, it's over. You're like, oh, thanks for coming out, Iowa. It's one of those situations where you just, you hate to say it and you hate to see it happen, but you just know it's happening. And that was the situation. Right as halftime hit, I was like, yep, it's over. I wasn't even bothered checking the score. When I was eating my lunch, I went to Jersey Mike's down on Merle Hay Road. It was very nice. Next time I check, it's like 75 to 55 Oregon. Somewhere around that. It's like, yeah, that's about what I expected. Now you can say it's being a bad fan. I apologize for all of you out there that want to label me a bad fan. But I've said numerous times, I didn't really... I kind of just was an Iowa fan because I was a fan of Iowa football. I was never really an Iowa basketball fan. I supported Iowa basketball, but I would never say I was gung-ho all the time. I've never even been to an Iowa basketball game. Throughout my entire life, I've never been to an Iowa basketball game. I've been to, if we're putting them together, hundreds if not thousands Drake and I games. I've been to a lot of those games. Never an Iowa game. Never been to an Iowa State either. Never even stepped foot in Hilton Coliseum. Not even once. And I've been to games at Jack Trice. Never stepped foot in Hilton Coliseum. One time. I've stepped in Carver, I think, three times. And that's because my friends tailgate at the Carver lot for Iowa games. Only, And I think I went in there to go to the bathroom one time. And from what I've heard from people that have gone to Carver, it's not really much. To, there's not really, you don't really want to go to Iowa to watch basketball games. From everything I've heard. You don't go there to watch basketball No. I would love to go to an Iowa wrestling match. They just won a national championship, so congratulations to Iowa wrestling on that. Spencer Lee won a natty with no ACLs, which is pretty cool. But I've never... Because Iowa, they were always on, like, Tuesday nights. And if you're from Des Moines, you don't really go... Oh, especially if you're in middle school. You don't go, Dad, can we go to the Iowa game? Drive up on Tuesday, hour and a half. 
drive all the way back. Game gets done around 10, probably. You get back around 11, 30, 12, maybe even later than that, depending on how traffic goes. It's not really, you don't really want to do that. You can go to Drake games all the time. Now, I didn't go to any UNI games until I went to UNI because, again, it's two hours away. It's not very easy to go to. Drake's easy. Like, it's different than football games where you have Saturdays. That's it. And the occasional Friday game. You had Saturday football. Basketball, you could play on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like, you could play all these days. So, yeah, based on Iowa's schedule at that point, I didn't really go to basketball games. I didn't really go. I didn't go to basketball games, so I didn't really get connected with Iowa basketball too much. I always said I've loved numerous teams over the years. I loved watching Drake in the tournament. I loved watching Drake in the tournament. They came back. They were dead against Wichita State and just kept battling it out, battling it out, and then got the win over Wichita State. It was great. Good job, Drake. Now, I would like to say this. I made this point years ago when Iowa played Tennessee, I think, in a first forward game. It was in Dayton, Ohio. I don't know why. Well, I understand why, but I don't I don't consider it this. I don't consider those first play-in games as tournament games. I'm sorry. I don't they're they're playing in to get to the tournament. That's not a tournament game in itself. You're playing in to get to the field of 64. No one cares about the four teams that don't you're not in the tournament. So I get Drake celebrating the first tournament win in 50 years or something like that. But that's I I know it counts. I know it does count. I don't want to discredit Drake from it at all because I mean 50 years is a long time, so I get celebrating for it. Good job. But I've just never counted it. Even when Iowa beat lost to Tennessee. Didn't really consider that. It's you're playing in to get to the tournament. You're playing to get to the tournament. You're not in the tournament. If you were, you wouldn't have a playing game. <laughs> so that's that's my little take on that. But then they lost to USC. They played well in that game, fought really hard. Roman Penn being out was a very big thing for them in this tournament, especially in the Missouri Valley tournament as well. So who knows? If Roman Penn was playing for Drake, would Drake have beaten Loyola? That probably means, based on the Missouri Valley's history of them only letting in one seed, would Drake have been the only representative for the Missouri Valley Conference? So that means we wouldn't have Sister Jean and Loyola beating Illinois and going to the Sweet 16 with an opportunity to go to the Elite Eight if they beat Oregon State? Crazy stuff to think about here. Crazy stuff to think about. But going over the rest of my bracket, I had Gonzaga winning it, had them beating Illinois in the final. Yeah, that's not happening. Illinois can't go to the final anymore. I had Ohio State in the final four. That can't happen. And then I had Alabama in the final four, which is still going good. Alabama's looked very, very convincing. Both their games have been won by double digits. So they're, I am still holding strong with that one. If I had to make a prediction now, if you had to do like those, I don't know what they call those things, like the, your, your debt, your little revival bracket. I don't know. We're going to call it that. If I had to go through and predict all these things, I think Gonzaga, I'm not going to leave my Gonzaga prediction. Gonzaga looks freaking unstoppable. They're toying with these teams out here. I think the same thing's going to be done to Creighton. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but I think Gonzaga, if Gonzaga doesn't win the national championship this year, I will be absolutely shocked. I will be shocked if Gonzaga doesn't win the championship this year. Uh, The next game, I'm going to go, ooh, this is going to be a tough one. Oregon-USC. 
I'll go with Oregon. I'll go with Oregon just based off what I watched them against Iowa. Now, USC and Oregon, you cannot have better offensive performances from these two teams in their last games. Oregon scored 95, USC scored 85, and beat both teams by double-digit points. Now, USC beat Kansas by 25 point, 24 points. Or wait, is that even wrong? 34 points. <laughs> 34 points. In the NCAA tournament. That is ridiculous. 34 points. I could, is that wrong? That's right, that's right. It'd be 44 if it was 95. Yeah, 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 I got this. I got this math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oregon won by 15. I think, uh, I don't know. We'll talk about that one at the end. I think Florida State will beat Michigan because that was my prediction. I think Alabama will beat USC because that's also my prediction. I think Houston will beat Syracuse, but I think that'd be a really cool story if Syracuse won. I think Loyola will beat Oregon State. And then for the next ones, I think Baylor will beat Villanova. I think Arkansas will beat Oral Roberts. I would love to see Oral Roberts go to the Elite Eight, but I just don't see that happening at this point in time. And then if I had to make predictions there, Gonzaga with Alabama, just keep that consistent. You know what? We'll go with Loyola in the Final Four again, and then, yeah, probably Baylor. So that'd be pretty fun. That could be totally wrong again. I've very limited college basketball knowledge from this year, this past year. Very small number of college basketball games I have watched this year. <sighs> Man, I'm excited for next year, though. I think you and I will actually field a good team. Hopefully they'll be back and fully healthy. Players can come back, so we'll see if Trey Burhow will be coming back next year. At least I think they can come back. So you have another experience with all the young players they played this year. They had a lot of young players and battled a lot of injuries this year. So A.J. Green coming back will be massive for you and I. I think this year was, we chalk it up as a lost year for you and I. Because I would, I, I think this is true. Now, you could disagree with me all you want. I think you and I's team last year is better than Drake's team this year. But you and I's team didn't look like they were going to make the tournament. But I still would hold that that you and I team is better than this year's Drake team. And I think it's a shame that you and I wouldn't have made the tournament, but I think it also makes sense. They lost in the first round of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. But they were so dominant in the regular season that's like, man, they should... I don't know. Next year will be fun. Next year will be fun. But this year has been a good, good tournament. In regards to upsets, being madness, everybody's brackets busted... Yeah, it's a fun, March Madness is always fun. Regardless if you know what you're doing or not, it's always fun. And then you look back at it and go, wow, I should have done that. Or, wow, I had that and then changed it because I listened to the experts like I did. Which is stupid. And I'm upset. Not I would have won money out of this, but I wouldn't have won. I'm not really confident. Like, what would I have done? So if, if I chose, what are the games that I thought about changing? So, Albine Christian beating Texas. UCLA, yeah, I would have had UCLA go to... Okay, that one would have worked. I, I was really stuck on Georgetown beating Colorado. And I think Florida State won, so I'm still sticking with that one. I had Syracuse the Sweet 16, so I'm up very, very, very upset about that one. I should have had Loyola. I, don't, I wouldn't have had Loyola beating Illinois. I wouldn't have had... I never even thought about Oral Roberts. I thought about Florida for a little bit. I was tough between Texas Tech and Arkansas. Didn't even think about Villanova either. I should have chose North Texas, but I did have Winthrop going to... Or no, I changed it, didn't I? I did. Because I listened to people and I put them in the Elite Eight. Sick. Good job, Logan. 
Well, yeah, that's fun. March Madness is awesome. Don't, don't you just love March Madness? Oh, man. Good Lord. It's always fun, even though your bracket sucks every single freaking year. So, moving on from that, we talked a little bit about you and I basketball with March Madness. We got pro days going on with the NFL going on right now with all these college campuses doing pro days. Now, some schools I have learned are doing two pro days. It's like Alabama's doing two pro days. That's the only school I've heard 100% is doing another pro day. I don't know how many other schools are doing that. I think that's a very smart thing to do. Because if you look down at Alabama's pro day today, that was on NFL Network this morning if you watched it. That was, it was fun to watch. But it wasn't as fun as it would have been if Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell participated. But we are, they didn't need to. We know what they can do. Those are three of the most dominated players in college football last year. Those three, they're going to go, what? The only person you could even argue not going to the first round is Najee. But the top two, Waddle and Smith, are going top 15 easily. Najee Harris has fluctuated anywhere from 18 to outside of the first round. I haven't really seen him go higher than 18, which is the Miami Dolphins pick. But you never know. We'll talk about my mock draft and where I had Najee Harris and all those guys going in a little bit. And yeah, Matt Jones looked good, put together a pretty impressive 40 time. I think one I saw on Twitter was a 479. Someone recorded a 481 or something like that. It was a good pro day. It was a good pro day for Matt Jones. He's looked good, showed off his arm talent for what people think he has an arm talent. He showed off a little bit more. I thought he had a good pro day. He had a really, really good pro day. Patrick Sertan, the second, he had a good pro day as well, ran a 4440. Looked like he was coached very well in the pro day as well, taking it taking lessons from the NFL scouts that were there. I think it was a really good day for the Alabama football players. Like, they're all going, like, listen to the star-studded cast. You have Patrick Sertan, Alex Leatherwood, Mac Jones, Deontay Brown, Christian Barmore, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Goodness gracious. That is a stacked pro day. Now, the last three I mentioned, again, did not participate. But the fact they were there, and Najee Harris' story about even getting there is ridiculous. See, his flight got canceled from Dallas to Birmingham, and then he drove nine hours to get to Alabama's Pro Day just to support his teammates, which I think is awesome and will only boost his draft stock, much like Mac Jones' teammates hyping him up, saying he's better than Tua, saying he's a more mobile Tom Brady, saying his work ethic is off the charts. That's what you like to hear. You really like to hear that stuff coming out of pro days. So I think Alabama's was just all around a great day. And then another pro day, which wasn't on TV or anything, but it was Purdue's pro day with Rondell Moore, who, though at Purdue and only played seven games the past two seasons, balled out at his pro day. 4-2-9-40, a 42-and-a-half-inch vertical. That is ridiculous. 5'9", freaking built. So we'll see where he ends up going. The problem with him is, is the injury history. Again, he's only played seven games or so in the last two seasons. He blew up his freshman year, but then he hasn't really played. I think he's a possible, it's a very low possibility, but I think there's a possibility he goes in the first round. I think he's more somewhere in day two. I don't know where. I think mid to late second round is where we'll probably see Rondell Moore going. And that's not really a, 
a discredit to Rondell Moore or anything. I know saying a player will go in the second round to a lot of people will go, oh, what do you mean he's only going second round? That's not, that's bad. No, that's how good this receiving class is. And we've talked about how amazing and stacked this receiving class is before. Like, it's not just the first three people that everybody are talking about. It's so much more than just Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. There's a lot of super good receivers here. Like if you just go through the list of receivers, Chase, Smith, Waddle, all these guys, they're freaking awesome. They're, they're amazing wide receivers. And Rashad Bateman, who had a down year last year, but that was basically because Tanner Morgan took a massive step back and Minnesota developed a nice little running game with Muhammad Ibrahim. So that's one reason his numbers went down. Kadarius Toney from Florida, one of the most electrifying players in this draft, can literally do everything. He came into Florida as a quarterback, went to wide receiver. He has put up good numbers at every position he has played at Florida. He's even thrown a couple touchdown passes. Like, he does everything for Florida. And then Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tylen Wallace, Diami Brown, Tutu Atwell, Amari Rogers. Like, there, Daz Newsome, Cornell Powell, Mir Smith, Marset, Brandon Smith. There's some good wide receivers. Now, I had to throw in the Iowa guys at the end. They'll probably be day, well, not probably. They will be day three picks. More so, Amir Smith, Marset. I don't know about Brandon Smith. Time will tell. On Brandon Smith, I think Amir Smith-Marset's versatility and athletic ability will put him above Brandon Smith. That's not saying anything bad about Brandon Smith. Again, the versatility thing is going to be very big in that regard for Amir Smith-Marset and his return ability as well. That's going to be very, what do you want to call that? Very, I can't remember what the word is. Then you got Dwayne Eskridge as well. He'll be a day two pick. Like, if you look at the receivers, one thing I'll say, so there's three guaranteed to go day one. That is Chase, Waddle, and Devontae Smith. The rest of them are possible day ones, more likely day twos. I think Kadarius Tony is a lock for day one. I think the other two that will go day one, I think it will be five receivers max that go day one. I think there's four pretty much guaranteed, five max, I would say, at this point in time. And the other, two, the other one is either Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU. I think Terrace Marshall Jr. is starting to get a little bit of an edge over Rashad Bateman because he's got this little stigma that he's a little slow, which he's not because he just ran his 40, and we know how fast he is just watching him play. But Terrace Marshall is size, speed. That's very admirable. So he's starting to jump Rashad Bateman in that regard. And then day two, I think more Rashad Bateman. Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore. So if I was making predictions now, not saying where these guys will go. Chase Smith, Waddle, first round. Kadarius Toney, first round. Terrace Marshall, possibly first round. But if not, he'll be the first wide receiver taken in the second round. Then you've got Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, uh, Rondell Moore as well. Not related, to my knowledge. Then what? Who else will be next? Amon Ross St. Brown, probably a second round pick. And then you go to the third round where you see Tylen Wallace, Dwayne Eskridge, Diami Brown. Now, Tutu Atwell will be a second rounder as well. But this is a deep receiving class. Like, you remember last year when everybody's talking about how deep last year's class was? This one's way deeper. Like, you can get a really good wide receiver in day three. 
which is not something you could normally say. And I know last year we had, you could get a first-round talent in day two. You can probably do that in day three this year. Now, maybe not in the quarterback position, but at the other positions, like wide receiver especially, you could find a very good player. This is the deepest wide receiver class ever, dating back all the way to last year, which was the deepest receiving class of all time, until this year, which is very cool to see. Two Alabama receivers, an LSU guy, all going to the first round yet again. We had that last year with Judy, Ruggs, Justin Jefferson. Now I got Smith, Waddle, and Jamar Chase. Now the other ones, TCU, Arizona State, Oklahoma, we're not going to have any of those guys fall in the first round this year. There's not any real threats to go in the first round from that school anyways for wide receiver positions. So, yeah, I just expect the people I've said to go first round. Two Bama dudes, LSU, and the Florida Gator. I think those are the four that are essential locks for first round status. And then you could throw in the possible LSU guy and the other possible Minnesota guy. That's what I've got for you for the wide receiver spit. There's, again, whoo. Do not fret if your team needs a wide receiver and they don't draft one day one. Do not be worried. Do not get angry. There will be wide receivers available to your team, starting caliber wide receivers available to your team in the later rounds. Just look at some of the best receivers in the NFL. Stephon Diggs was a fifth-round draft pick. Adam Thielen went undrafted. Uh, Devontae Adams went in the second, third round. Michael Thomas went second, third round. No, he went early second round. Jesus Smith-Suster, second round. DK Metcalf, second round. A.J. Brown, second round. Keenan Allen, third round. Tyreek Hill, sixth round, fifth round, somewhere around there. I don't, I might be forgetting some other big name wide receivers. Cortland Sutton, he's a good wide receiver. He was a day two pick. There's some good wide receivers. Do not worry if your team does not draft a wide receiver in the first round. Look at you, Packers fans. I'm looking at you, Ravens fans. Another team sprinkled in there as well. If you need one, they'll probably get one. Now, you know, I say that, and the Packers go out and don't draft a single receiver last year and draft Jordan Love and a third-string running back. So, I mean, it can happen, but I don't see it happening. Especially since now, Aaron Rodgers has said he wants some commitment from the Green Bay Packers. So we'll see how committed they are and whether or not they're going to move on from Jordan Love. Because Aaron Rodgers, goodness gracious, MVP, NFC Championship game, back-to-back 13-3 seasons. I don't think that he's slowing down anytime soon. Unless he's... Jeez. His production is going to have to fall off the the base or the, what is it called? The peak of Mount Everest, not the base. For him to look like, it's going to be a dramatic fall if that happens. That's the only way you can move to Jordan Love. And I know the Packers, and I don't want to scare you Packers fans. If they don't see a sign from Jordan Love that he's the, or if, if Aaron Rodgers dips a little bit and they need to see something from Jordan Love, I wouldn't be surprised if they just went, okay, we got to put Jordan Love in. We drafted in the first round. We traded up to get him. 
We have to see something from him. If you don't, then you're in trouble and that Jordan Love's going to get traded. Which, I guess you shouldn't say you're in trouble, but you should be pissed off even more than what you were last year <laughs> on the draft day when you traded up to select Jordan Love. Oh, man. What a fun draft that was last year. Last year was awesome. Last year's draft was super fun. Even though it was on, it was the commissioner was, even though with the commissioner in his room or in his football watching cave or whatever he called it, that was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed Roger Goodell and his candies and sitting back in the chair because he was watching the draft like everybody else was. <laughs> he looked, but he was just, I got to read out all of these picks from the comfort of my chair. I don't need to put on a face. I'm just going to sit back in my chair and talk and reveal the picks. Which is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be more relatable to the viewing audience to say, which was fun. I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But you and I, back to this, you and I had their pro day, and Spencer Brown and Ellerson Smith. Two, I mean Spencer Brown's a possible day one guy, more likely second round guy. Ellerson Smith will fluctuate between rounds three and seven. We don't know exactly where he'll go. But here were their pro day numbers. And Jim Nagy, the director, I guess we should call him, of the Senior Bowl, put out this. Freaky numbers today at Northern Iowa Pro Day. O-Lyman Spencer Brown with an all-timer shuttles, 439 short shuttle and a 6993 cone. Wear blend for a six foot eight and two millimeters two, two centimeters at 311 pounds. Ran a four four nine four four nine six forty on NFL clocks. 31.5-inch vertical, and a 9.9 broad jump. And then Ellerson Smith, a 41.5 vertical in a 10.7 broad jump at 252 and ran a 4.74 and a 4.77. These Panthers, man, they're going to ball out. They're trying to ball out. Spencer Brown also put up 29 on the bench press. Ellerson Smith put up 26 on the bench press. This is good stuff. I'm excited to see where these two land. Because they're awesome players. I was in a class with Spencer Brown. So I guess you could say we're like best friends, essentially. And he's every bit of six foot eight. I'm not surprised by that at all. And if you look at... This was tweeted out by Ryan Roberts today. It was Spencer Brown's and Ellerson Smith's freshman year versus where they are now. Spencer Brown, when he came into UNI, was six foot nine... 230 pounds, his bench was 245 pounds, his squat was 315, and his hand clean was 225. Now, he's still 6'9", 317 pounds, he's gained, what, almost 90 pounds in four and a half years, or five years, because he was a redshirt senior. Bench was 500, went from 245 to 500, so more than doubled it. Squat went to 600 from 315, and his clean went up by 125 pounds to 350. That's impressive stuff. And they got their shirtless pictures here, so you can really see what they looked like as freshmen and what they look like now. They, they don't even look the same. Ellerson Smith came in as one of those skinny, ripped people. Like, you know, you're not really ripped, you're just skinny. One of those situations he came in at 6'7", 190. He is built now. Like he's really built. He is what came in at 6'7, 190. He's 6'7, 255, and massive now. His bench was 200. Now it's 385. Almost a 200 pound jump there. Squat 275, 
to 545 and then clean 225 to 395. I, oh, <laughs> these dudes, that's work for you. That shows what pe- these people turn into from high, little high school athletes to big-time college players that are going to be big-time draft picks. Spencer Brown has an outside shot at making the first round. I would say, if I'm doing this on percentage, at this point in time, as I sit here today, I would say it's about an 80-20% chance he goes in the first round. Like, 20% he goes in the first round, 80% chance he doesn't. And again, that's not a damnation on Spencer Brown. That's more of a compliment to how good everybody else is in this draft. You have to say that a lot with this draft. You can't say, oh, this person's worse than this person, because it's not, but they're just the other person's just better. It's not that they're worse. I know that doesn't might not make a lot of sense, but Spencer Brown is not a bad prospect going in day two. If you're a day two draft pick, either way, if it, this year or not, day two draft picks are fantastic draft. That's a very high draft pick. There's such a small number of high school athletes that end up getting drafted in the NFL. And even a lesser percent have an actual career in the NFL. The average NFL career is like a year, maybe even less than that. I know we look around and go, oh, look at Tom Brady playing until, what is what, 21st year? Peyton Manning played forever. Like all these guys, but no, the, mo- the those are just the big names. The most of the NFL is just college kids that got a chance to go to pro day or to go to offseason training camp and make the roster, hopefully. Not every NFL career is 21 years. Even if you're a first-round draft pick, that doesn't mean you're a guaranteed stud. Like, things can't, they don't need, the, things might not work out. So that's, I'm start. I hate the term can't miss prospect. That is my least favorite term. One of my least favorite terms in sport. We've talked about that before. Like, Trevor Lawrence is considered a can't miss prospect. Like, can miss. Certain situations in Jacksonville might not work out. Like, we all know he's going to Jacksonville. I don't think it's crazy to assume he's going to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. But things might not work out there. He might get a really bad injury. And regardless if you think injuries mean you're a bust or not, his career could be cut short by injuries, and we're looking at him a lot differently than the can't-miss prospect or why didn't you draft this guy above, which will happen if he doesn't work out to the expectations people have set for him since he was a freshman at Clemson winning a natty against Alabama. Like, there are, though not a lot, there are some warning signs like massive warning. So I think Trevor Lawrence will be an awesome NFL quarterback. I would like to stress that before I say this. He did, this is fact, did get outplayed by Justin Fields and Joe Burrow in the past two seasons. And one could even argue he got outplayed by Justin Fields in the last, the season before when Trevor Lawrence and Clemson beat Ohio State. You could argue that then. Now, I think Trevor Lawrence, you could say, I would definitely say, or not definitely, I would say Trevor Lawrence played better than Fields at that day. But there is an argument that could be had. There's not an argument that Justin Fields outplayed him the next time they played. And there's zero argument from Joe Burrow annihilating Clemson on the day they played. Like These are two massive games, and Clemson got absolutely, what, the genetically jackhammered by these teams. Like, brutalized. And then you look at the teams Clemson's playing. Like the, They're a top school, 
they recruit the best players, so you're obviously going to assume you're getting the best from everybody. But Clemson is so much better than everybody that their best, like the other team's best, doesn't really matter. Like, Clemson murders teams at certain points in the season. Now, you could also argue, look at Clemson against Notre Dame. They were without him one game and with him the other game. They blew out Notre Dame with him. They lost to him without him. So you could argue that. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is not worthy of the number one overall pick. I'm not saying Zach Wilson's better, Justin Fields is better, or that he should not definitely not go to Jacksonville. But let's not call him the can't-miss prospect and don't say we doesn't have any holes in his game because every player does. I don't think a lot of people expected Jim Plunkett to not work out in New England when that happened. I don't think a lot of people expected Sam Darnold not to work out in New York, but that happened. I don't think a lot of people expected uh, Tim Couch not to work out in Cleveland. Like, Don McNabb got booed when he walked out on the stage for the Eagles because they wanted Ricky Williams. The Browns' choices in that draft, apparently, they were not scouting Don McNabb. It was between Tim Couch and Akili Smith. Not even Don McNabb. No one thought Tim, Tim Couch would bust. Tim Couch, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, because Tim Couch obviously didn't work out in the NFL because the Browns were a dumpster fire. The same thing goes for David Carr as well. Down in Houston. He got sacked like 76 times his rookie year. Which is crazy to think about. 76 times in one season. By a rookie court. Like, that's set up to fail right there. But Tim Couch was given pretty much the same treatment at Kentucky as Trevor Lawrence was coming out of Clemson. You look at their arc, their character arcs, or whatever you want to call it. They're... Pretty similar. People were calling Tim Couch the number one overall pick in the draft before his draft was even up. Now, I do think that the situations at that point in the Cleveland Browns organization, the situation in the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, are a little different. I'm not saying they're vastly different because the Jacksonville Jaguars just won one freaking game this year. And on top of that, we don't know if Urban Meyer is going to work out. There's Now, he could be a Jimmy Johnson type. Had great success in college. Comes to the NFL, wins a Super Bowl. Maybe that's a thing. The Cowboys were just as bad as the Jaguars are now when Jimmy Johnson took over. But he could also be a case of Nick Saban playing, going one season in Miami, not working out. The first stint in the NFL for Pete Carroll when he was kicked out the door in New England and went back to USC. Or if you want to do NBA scenarios like Rick Pitino or John Calipari, those two didn't work out either. Just because you had success one place. And John McKay, the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's certain... that It could work. It could all work perfectly. But I'm tired of hearing people say that it's guaranteed not to fail. He's a can't-miss guy. This is a can't-miss situation. He's a franchise saver. He may, may very well be all of those things. But let's not sit here and say that there's no... Chance it can happen where it does not work. Because everything can mess up for you. I don't think a lot of people thought Josh Allen would be as good as he is right now when they drafted him seventh overall. No one said, oh, Josh Allen's a thousand times better than Josh Rosen. But that's the case we're sitting in right now. The top two quarterbacks of the 2018 draft class consensus, unanimously, I should say, 
were Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Josh Allen fluctuated between the top and the very bottom of that draft. Lamar Jackson was usually fifth. Baker Mayfield was usually fourth or third. Josh Allen went anywhere from one to four. But usually when you talk to people, Sam Darnold's number one. He can't miss. He's the most ready to play. Get him in there and he'll be perfect for the organization. He'll save the Jets. He didn't. The Jets had a 7-9 record last season or two seasons ago. And everybody was touting them to be the best team to win the division. Or at least in vastly improve, make the playoffs. Ignoring the fact that we made fun of a thousand times in the show <laughs> during the summer. Is that they played the easiest schedule in the NFL statistically at that point. Easiest strength of schedule was the New York Jets second half of the season last year or two years ago, whatever you want to call it. But everybody ignored that because we have still hype on Sam Darnold. That thing has not worked out. And when everybody said it was a perfect marriage and it was going to work, Adam Gase is perfect for Sam Darnold is what we were told. That's not happened. Sam Darnold was one of those as high. We are viewing him as high as Andrew Luck. Now, he's just like a tier below Andrew Luck and John Elway. But he was guaranteed to work out. He hasn't. He just hasn't. And you can be a Sam Donald defender all you want. I have nothing against the kid personally. And I could say kid because I think I'm older than him. Which is weird for me to think about. And depressing at the same time. But man. No more can't miss stuff. I want nothing but the best for all these players in the draft. The sad reality is. Some of these players will not work out. Isaiah Wilson just got traded to the Dolphins and then cut within a few days. He was a first-round draft pick. Just because you're a first-round draft pick does not guarantee you success in the NFL. And just because you're a seventh-round pick or undrafted does not guarantee you a... just. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a career in the NFL. Marcus Colston was a seventh-round draft pick. He had a great career. With the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady was a 6th round draft pick. Antonio Brown was a 6th round draft pick. Kurt Warner undrafted. Tony Romo undrafted. These are great careers in the NFL. Tom Brady and Tony Romo. Undrafted and 6th round pick. Beat out a number 1 overall pick in Drew Bledsoe. In New England and Dallas. So just because. You're a number 1 overall pick. And just because. Your first rounder does not mean your job can't be taken. Drew Bledsoe's job got taken twice by two people who they who the experts thought had no career in the NFL, and Tony Romo and Drew Bledsoe. Both of them beat them out, and both of them had better careers than Drew Bledsoe. And I'm saying that as nice as I can because Drew Bledsoe was my favorite player growing up before LaDainian Tomlinson. My second jersey ever was a Drew Bledsoe Bills jersey. Yeah, Tony Romo undrafted Tom Brady six rounder both of them beat out number one pick Drew Bledsoe it can happen it can happen the Washington Redskins when they were called that drafted Heath Schuler at fourth or fifth overall drafted Gus Farratt in the later rounds the seventh round Gus Farratt beat out Heath Schuler keeping the same team RG3 was second overall pick. Kirk Cousins, fifth uh, fifth or fourth round draft pick. Beat out Kirk Cousins, or beat out RG3. 
Like you get a little bit more chances as a number one overall pick or as a first round draft pick. But no one's job is safe in the NFL. You can, there are no favorites in the NFL. I guess I shouldn't say that. There's sometimes favorites in the NFL. So without further ado, before we get too long of a show, which is already long enough as it is, we've got to talk about Mock Draft 4.0. I released this on Monday, so if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and read it on the Logan Blackman Show websites on my Twitter, Logan underscore Blackman, if you want to go look at it. I would greatly appreciate it. Before we get into this, go and follow Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, go like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, go and watch the past two videos we have done with Mock Draft Minute, and go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give it a nice little rating. I would greatly appreciate that. So without further ado, let's just get into this. Number one, I think the top two picks are pretty much formalities at this point. Regardless of who picks there, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, I think we can all agree, are going number one and two. I think most of us can agree on that. Now, there's some people that are still out there saying that Panay Sewell will go number two, or the Jets will trade up, trade back, or this, that, and the other thing. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith go number two. Kyle Pitts go number two. Zach Wilson will go number two. Regardless of it to the Jets, the Texans, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Patriots, the Washington football team, the Broncos, the Eagles, I don't know. There, he's going number two. I don't really need to talk about Trevor Lawrence going one. That's a formality as well. That's more of a formality at this point. Regardless if you like Justin Fields or the other quarterbacks above Zach Wilson, your opinion don't matter here because he's going number two overall. This is one of the very few drafts, I guess last year's draft, we could say this as well. We know the top two picks in the draft before the draft even starts. Last year was Joe Burrow and Chase Young. This year... It's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. We even know the order. Like, in other situations, you had Mariota Winston was one of them. You had Goff Wentz was another one. Drew Bledsoe and uh, Rick Meyer in Seattle. That was a toss-up. Manning Leaf. Like, you knew who was going to those, like, the first two picks. We didn't know the order. We know the order here. Trevor Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville. There's probably a 0.1% chance they trade out of it. And then number two overall is Zach Wilson, regardless if he goes to the Jets or any of these other teams. I just think Zach Wilson fits the offense that they're going to run. If you remember a few weeks ago, probably a few months ago at this point now, Zach Wilson did an interview. I can't remember where he did the interview. It was like a phone call interview. He said the offense that he thinks he would fit best in is Kyle Shanahan's offense. Do you guys happen to know who the Jets' offense coordinator is? Mike LaFleur, brother of Matt LaFleur, coach of the Green Bay Packers. Maybe I have their name slipped, whatever. That's Shanahan's offense. Zach Wilson would fit really, 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 really well in the Jets' offense. Very well in the Jets' offense. So the Jets have to look at this in multiple, multiple directions. Do we think we can fix Sam Darnold? Is Zach Wilson a significant upgrade on Sam Darnold? Do we just think we need something new in here, the new regime? Do they want something new? Joe Douglas, Robert Sala have no connection to Sam Darnold whatsoever. The GM and coach that drafted him are gone. They have no loyalties to Sam Darnold. Once your GM and coach are gone, your career as a quarterback is a lot more under a microscope, looked at more under a microscope, I guess you could say. More so the GM than anything, because the GM actually drafts the players. Coach can put input in, but they don't say, 
I want this guy. And the GM goes, okay, yeah, sure. So you talked about this, the Bears, John Fox thought they were drafting Jamal Adams and they traded up to draft Trubisky. So there's, like, the coach can put an input, but the GM does the drafting. So Zach Wilson would be awesome in the Jets if it works out. If it, if it works, if everything comes to fruition, I think it would be an awesome marriage with, my, with LeFleur and Wilson in that offense. But you never know. There's two... We have the duality of Zach Wilson. The one last year that put up gaudy numbers against very bad teams or the season before where he played better teams and struggled a little bit but still so flashes of what he can do. So you got, which one are we going to get? Which one are we going to get? Do we have character concerns? Maybe. I don't know. He doesn't seem as much as a dickhead as Josh Rosen so I'm not really going to judge him even though they come from reported similar scenarios. I don't know. Zach Wilson's going to Trevor Lawrence one. We put a trade in here. It was Carolina trading up to three to select Justin Fields. If you remember back early in the offseason, the reports were that Carolina loves Justin Fields and likes Mac Jones. Now that could be a smoke screen or whatever to get teams to trade up to draft Justin Fields so they can get Mac Jones, or they genuinely love Justin Fields. I think that they love Justin Fields. I think he's a very good fit in their offense. If they want Deshaun Watson... Justin Fields is a very good consolation prize, I guess I should say. Very similar style of skills in regards to the football game. And they're kind of, at the time of the draft, both kind of overanalyzed, I guess you could say, with another player that we're going to talk about in a little bit being, being overanalyzed, which is a little bit of a problem. But ultimately, it leads to a good player going to a good team and results in better success for the player. Like, would you say that a player getting drafted in the Bears spot in 2017 would be different than someone getting drafted in the Chiefs spot at 10? I don't know. We'll see. I think Justin Fields' Carolina would be awesome to see. For Trey Lance to Atlanta, I've heard and I get the rumors saying Kyle Pitts going to the Atlanta Falcons. I think that makes a ton of sense because, A, the Falcons have said, Terry Fontenot, the new GM, has said they may deploy the best player available strategy, which is something that Thomas Dimitrov and co. in the last few years didn't really do. It's more of an overdrafting situation with those guys, which is why we got to the situation where we are now in Atlanta. And then, looking at the head coach, Arthur Smith, former tight ends coach for the Tennessee Titans for, what, six years, five, six years? At the Tennessee Titans, he was their tight ends coach. And what is position does Kyle Pitts play? Tight end. And yes, they have Hayden Hurst there, but the beauty of Kyle Pitts is the ability to play out wide, play in the slot, play as a normal tight end. Gives you versatility in your offense. So you can still start Hayden Hurst at tight end, but play Kyle Pitts in multiple positions would be awesome to see. Kyle Pitts with Julio, Calvin Ridley, with Matt Ryan throwing the ball would be awesome to see. But... But, and this is the big but here, the Falcons are in a situation right now where they have said, we're not, re- we're not rebuilding, we are retooling, is what they essentially said. We're not tanking, is what they said. So the Falcons, if they believe that mindset, and they believe they have a team that can get a higher draft pick and challenge for playoff spots, which I think they can, with the team they have, their offense is too good to be as bad as they are. 
Their defense is just a flipped version of the Chicago Bears. Their defense is wasting their offense. But if they really think that, the chances of them having the fourth overall pick or a chance to get a future quarterback are very slim. And the Falcons at four, this is primo opportunity here to get your eventual Matt Ryan successor and Trey Lance, who is the rawest prospect in this draft, would be able to sit behind Matt Ryan. They just restructured his contract. They got about two more years with Matt Ryan as their starter, guaranteed. You look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL of the past decade, Aaron Rodgers sat for three years. Phillip Rivers sat for two or three years. So, like, this could be a similar situation here than that. Now, Matt Ryan doesn't look like he doesn't even sound like he wants to retire anytime soon. But, hey... Trey Lance would be absolutely perfect for Arthur Smith's offense. We've talked about that a thousand times. He's got all the abilities to do that. He's got some things you can coach out of him, but that's what makes him a raw prospect. He's also a very exciting prospect. He's the most athletic quarterback in this draft class. Getting to learn behind Matt Ryan would be super beneficial for Trey Lance. Super beneficial. Like Patrick Mahomes even sat a year. Played one game his rookie year. Sat behind Alex Smith. Look how much that did for him. I don't think if you threw Patrick Mahomes to the Wolves game one of his rookie year and not having that chance to learn from a quarterback that has had a career on being a calm and calculated thrower of the football, not too much exciting stuff goes on with Alex Smith, but I think that really helped Patrick Mahomes in his development. Trey Lance could use Matt Ryan in a similar mold to that of Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. Now, unlike that situation, I think Matt Ryan's a thousand times better quarterback than Alex Smith. And I love Alex Smith. That's not saying anything bad about Alex Smith. But Trey Lance with Arthur Smith learning from Matt Ryan, I don't know if Julio will still be there by the time Trey Lance is ready to be the starter, but Calvin Ridley will still be there, hopefully. I think Trey Lance would be an awesome fit for the Atlanta Falcons. If they don't take Lance and take Kyle Pitts, I would to- I would understand it. There's a lot of links that are saying, a lot of people that are saying, Kyle Pitts to Atlanta at four is a real possibility, and I believe that. But you might not have another opportunity, if you're the Falcons, to pick at number four again, or pick at a super high spot in the draft to get an eventual success for Matt Ryan. They have no other quarterback on the roster other than Matt Ryan. This makes sense. If you're looking for the future of the Falcons, this makes a ton of sense. Develop him. Get him with Arthur Smith. I think you might have a beautiful marriage between Trey Lance and the Atlanta Falcons. I think it'd be perfect. Absolutely perfect. No, this has to work. You have to develop him smartly. I don't know if he'd be... I don't know. I love Trey Lance, the quarterback. I loved watching him at North Dakota State but he might be one of those guys that needs a little bit longer to develop than normal. Josh Allen was a similar mold, but Josh Allen got thrown in the wolves because Nathan Peterman sucks. Simple as that. Nathan Peterman posted a 0.0 QBR in week one against the Ravens. They kind of forced their hand to put Josh Allen in way before he was ready to play. But look where Josh is now. The Bills took a chance, and I think there's a lot less risk drafting Trey Lance than there was with Josh Allen. Especially at this point in their this point in their career. 
but Matt Ryan would be an awesome teacher. If you look at all these top quarterbacks, other like Trey, Justin Fields, someone going to Carolina, getting to learn from Teddy Bridgewater. Matt Ryan's there in Atlanta. You look at the New England Patriots, Cam Newton there. Though he has declined, he's still a veteran that has done a lot in the NFL. He got good. good. The Bears have Al, or, uh, Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. There's some good stuff here to learn from and mold these quarterbacks under, which is very good to see. Very, it makes you very excited. Now, Trevor Lawrence, he'll play day one regardless. He'll get Joe Burrow treatment. He'll play day one. I don't know who they've got as their backup right now because they're looking to trade Gardner Minshew, which makes sense. Because if you kept Gardner, if Trevor Lawrence messes up, <laughs> there might be calls for Gardner Minshew. Because there's another one. Jacksonville Jaguars drafted Byron Leftwich in the first round. David Garrard was a fourth-round draft pick. Who was the starter in Jacksonville for longer, David Garrard or Byron Leftwich? Now, you said better coach would be Leftwich, but we're not talking about coach. We're talking about the player, and David Garrard had by far a better career than Byron Leftwich. Now, I like Byron Leftwich. He played for the Jaguars, Steelers, Buccaneers. Now, there's – go watch <laughs> – there was a, game, a Sunday night football game where Byron Leftwich played for the Steelers. He had a massive touchdown run, but he tripped before the end zone and hurt his shoulder. It's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in the NFL live, and I don't know why it doesn't get talked about more. It should get talked about a whole hell of a lot more. Me and my friend Caleb talked about that forever after that. Caleb's a Steelers fan, so he was <laughs> he found it even more amusing than I did. But man, be awesome to see. I... Four quarterbacks going in the first four picks. I tried to look this up to see if this has ever happened before. I don't think it ever has. There has been a few occasions where three quarterbacks have gone in the first three picks, but I don't know four for four. It doesn't happen too often. Because as we've talked about, we just talked about one of these draft classes earlier. Tim Couch, Donald McNabb, Akili Smith. We have Jim Plunkett, Dan Pastorini, Archie Manning. Like This has happened before with three in a row. Four in a row would be something cool. And this is another thing that I saw. I forgot. We've talked about this a little bit, but I think I just want to nail this home again. Adam Schefter said, expect four quarterbacks get taken the first six, seven picks. Take that to the bank is what he said. So here we go. Four quarterbacks in the first four picks. Number five, the Bengals taking Panay Sewell. I can totally see them taking Jamar Chase here because especially after they got Jamar uh, Riley Reef in free agency, the left tackle. But here... Again, Matt Miller's sources apparently said that this is a nailed-on thing to happen. This means, if you draft Panay Sewell, you are moving Riley Reef to right tackle, you are sliding Jonah Williams in to left guard, and you are starting Panay Sewell at left tackle. That is a so much better offensive line than what you had last year. And you re-signed Quentin Spain as well. That is a good offensive line. As the makings of a good offensive line. The, the goal this offseason is very simple. Get Joe Burrow some protection. Don't turn him into Carson Palmer. Don't turn him into Andrew Luck. Now, Carson Palmer had a really good career, career post-Cincy, but don't make him get hurt <laughs> again. Don't turn him into Andrew Luck. Get him protection. You already improved your line by getting Riley Reeve, who was coming off a career year, essentially, with the Minnesota Vikings. Panay Sewell... Left tackle, Jonah Williams, left guard, Quentin Spain, right guard, Riley Reef, right tackle. I almost did Chef Kiss. I don't know if it's Chef Kiss, but that's a good that's a good off the line right there for Joe Burrow. Six, the Eagles taking Kyle Pitts. The Eagles are doing this thing 
where now don't buy, I'm this could be wrong, but this is how I'm interpreting it. Do not buy them looking for quarterbacks. They just signed Joe Flacco today. They just signed Joe Flacco. I know the memes are there about he's elite, so obviously they won't sign quarterback. But being in all seriousness, the Eagles are trying to put a bug in these teams' ears that we're looking at a quarterback, we're looking at a quarterback, we're looking at a quarterback. This is either A, to get a team to trade up with them, trade back, because they are they got a lot of holes in their roster, a little messy roster right now. You might want to trade back and accumulate some picks. Or, which I think is the more likely option here for the Eagles, is having a team trade up in the draft to have a Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts fall their lap at number six. So in this scenario, when you have four quarterbacks go in the first four picks, you're guaranteed one of them. The Bengals could go Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase is the more likely one with him playing with Joe Burrow at LSU. And that makes a lot of sense for Cincinnati. AJ Green's down in Arizona. So that makes sense. I would not be shocked if the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase at number five. But with the four quarterbacks going the first four picks, and even if Jamar Chase goes number five, you got Kyle Pitts. I think they want two players in this draft. Jamar Chase to Kyle Pitts. And if teams trade up to get quarterbacks, naturally that will get Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase to fall right into their lap. And right here, both of them fall their lap. I just think the Eagles would go with Kyle Pitts. And there's two reasons, I think, mostly, why this will happen. Kyle Pitts is a Philly native. He was born in Philadelphia. So there's an obvious link there. And then the second thing, their quarterback coach who knows Jalen Hurts, has known him for a very long time, was Florida's offensive coordinator and knows how important and how impactful Kyle Pitts can be to an offense. That's the links here. I think it's too obvious of links not to happen. Philly native, the quarterback's coach was Florida's OC. Like, we're tr- we might be trading Zach Ertz. Even if you're not, he'd be awesome to have. He's a red zone target. The Eagles' red zone offense is not fantastic, but a combination of Kyle Pitts, who is the best red zone target in this draft, bar none, with Jalen Hurts and his running ability would be Beautiful to see. And yes, you got Dallas Goddard Arnie on the roster. That's a great two tight end set right there. That's better than a lot of teams in the NFL. That two tight end set. So if your team has a tight end, like the Falcons or the Dolphins, don't be upset or shocked if Kyle Pitts gets drafted by them because he's more than just a normal tight end. He's so much more than a normal tight end. He could do so many things for an offense That would be awesome, but I think Philly, if I had to make a prediction for a lock, I think Kyle Pitts is almost a lock to go to Philly. Now, it all depends on if the Falcons draft him at four. I think if we're going for alternate picks here, there's none for Jacksonville. That one's not happening. The Jets, probably Panay Sewell. I think it's going to be Zach Wilson or the tackle because that means, or they'll trade back because if they're not drafting Zach Wilson, that means they have faith in Sam Darnold. The only way they don't draft Zach Wilson here is if they have faith in Sam Darnold. Three, Panthers don't have to trade up, but they're aggressively looking for a trade up in the the top three picks to get a quarterback. But the other picks are Trey Lance and Mac Jones. They have been aggressively shopping quarterbacks. They've been in the ear of every team who's been looking to trade their quarterback or has, or even if they're taking calls for it. 
They have they like all these quarterbacks. All the brass for the Panthers is at Trey Lance's pro day. There's been reports they love Justin Fields. They were coach of Mac Jones at the Senior Bowl. They're taking one of the quarterbacks in this draft. Falcons, it's Trey Lance, maybe Justin Fields, and Kyle Pitts. I think though, and I, Rashawn Slater, I think, should be still talked about here. I had that in mock draft 1.0. I think that should still be talked about more. Bengals, it's either Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase. Eagles, it's Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. And then seven, miraculously, the Detroit Lions take Jamar Chase at number seven. He's the best wide receiver in the draft. Lions lost Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. They got Jared Goff. They got no wide receivers. See the obvious need here? See the obvious fit here? It's going to be a wide receiver. It's going to be the best one available. And the one right here is Jamar Chase. Now, I don't need to talk about that one too much. Now, the Miami Dolphins at number eight. I have them going back to the Devontae Smith route. Now, Devontae Smith's an interesting thing. Now, if you look at him and Jalen Waddle, just him and the top three wide receivers in the draft. Chase, Smith, Waddle. I think you could have any order of those wide receivers, and I'd be perfectly fine with it because they all offer so many things to a team. I understand why Devontae Smith's dropping. I had him at number three in my first rankings, and the size thing is not a, is not important to me. It's important for his draft stock, and when I'm doing these mock drafts, it's not what I want to happen. It's what I think will happen based on what they've been doing this offseason. Devontae Smith's size could hurt his stock in the eyes of some teams. Ultimately, if the Dolphins are at number... I don't think they'll draft him at three. But at number eight, that... I mean, it has to be. If you look at the stuff he did last year, I have never seen a receiver do what he can do before and after the catch. It's awesome. He's the best route runner in this draft. He's got really good speed. He's got great hands. The only downside is he weighs 170 pounds soaking wet. But he's awesome. He's the set, what, the fourth wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy? Because the other ones were Desmond Howard, Tim Brown, and Johnny Rogers. Is that right? I think those are the other three. I know Tim Brown and Desmond Howard. uh, Rogers, I think, was the other, the first one from Nebraska. He's a beast. And the connection with him and Tua, Devontae's, Tua's the reason Devontae Smith came to Alabama. There's a clip from the U.S. Army All-American game where Devontae Smith said he's talked to Tua, who just committed to Alabama at that point, and Devontae Smith was thinking about Georgia, and ultimately did commit to Georgia, if I remember right, but then decommitted and recommitted to Alabama, or committed again to Alabama. Tua and him won the national championship together as freshmen, Tua to Devontae Smith for the game-winning touchdown. Then, in a season where Tua had four first-round wide receivers on the roster, Devontae Smith led the team in receiving, and then this year... Obviously, I mean, it's Mac Jones, but he won the Heisman. This would be a very good connection, Devontae Smith and Tua. Don't read too much into their him and Jalen Waddle's comments on Mac Jones being better than Tua. That might not be saying a lot about how they dislike Tua. I just think they like Mac Jones a lot, which is fair to say. And speaking of Mac Jones, number nine, the Patriots trading up to get Mac Jones. I mean, the link just makes too much sense, doesn't it? There are reports of them liking Justin Fields a lot, but I think he'll be gone before they can trade up to get him. I don't think Matt, I don't think Justin Fields really falls out of like I don't know the top six, and that's saying I'm I'm not saying he's going okay. We'll say top eight because I don't. Panthers currently right now sit at eight. 
but I, I think someone will trade up to get him. And I think the Panthers training with Eagles makes a lot of sense there. So, I don't know. You get what I'm saying, hopefully. But Mac Jones, he's got the Brady mindset. He's way more athletic than what people get him credit for. His work ethic's off the charts, which is what Bill Belichick will really like from him. Saban and him are very close. So obviously a lot of connection with Saban and Bill Belichick, Brady and Mac Jones. Again, very similar. And you got Cam Newton on the roster. Jared Sims not the answer. Uh, we talked about that last offseason. There was talks about him possibly beating out Cam Newton because they really like Jarrett Stidham. But then once you saw Jarrett Stidham lose the backup job to Brian Hoyer, then it was kind of, he's not the guy. Mac Jones could be that. Sit for one year. Cam's on a one-year deal. They have to be looking at a quarterback. And Mac Jones just feels too much like a Patriots player not to happen. I, I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing it going to the go him going to the Patriots, but man, it looks like it could happen. It's a fit that works very, very well. Number ten, the Dallas Cowboys taking Patrick Sertan. They need corner help. Yeah, just need some corners. They could go after an offensive lineman here as well, but I think their defense needs to be somewhat addressed. In this draft, Patrick Sertan, him or Caleb Farley are the best cornerbacks in the draft, depending on what you really want. We'll talk about Caleb Farley in a little bit, but I think for fit-wise and what the Cowboys usually do, I think Patrick Sertan will fit the Cowboys draft model more than Caleb Farley. Number 11, New York Giants taking Rashawn Slater, the outside lineman from Northwestern. They just released Kevin Zeitler, who signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Good bit of business by the Ravens there. And they got Kenny Galladay. So wide receiver, at least for me right now, I just saw a report they're zeroing in apparently on Devontae Smith, which could happen. Time will tell. They need offensive linemen. They got Daniel Jones, a number one wide receiver, and Kenny Galladay. Saquon Barkley is going to be back, hopefully, and fully healthy. You've got Sterling Shepard there as well. Darius Slayton's there. Evan Ingram, if you remember, his hands are, you know, supposed to catch the football. And Rashawn Slater is very versatile, could play both guard and tackle. So... I think this one makes a ton of sense, replaces Kevin Zeitler. We, this gets talked about, I think, every single draft, but it gets. I'm going to bring it up again. Dave, Dave Gettleman loves hog mollies. I think it's brought, it is talked about at nauseum. It is brought up every single draft that Dave Gettleman loves hog mollies. He wants big offensive line. Rashawn Slater is that. I think him and Panay Sewell, I think that's a very 1A, 1B situation. I think if you want to finish product, you go for more Rashawn Slater. If you go for potential, you go for Panay Sewell. That's the same situation with Farley and Sertan, in my opinion. And speaking of Farley going to 12 to San Francisco, now he is having a back surgery, which could scare some teams away because that's one of the worst injuries you can have in the NFL. Ruined Arian Foster's career, ruined, eventually ruined Tony Romo's career. And back injuries are bad. Larry Bird in the NBA had a very bad back throughout his career, but the 49ers need defensive help. Cornerback's a big need. They lost Richard Sherman, or not lost him. They're letting him go in free agency. They brought back uh, Jason Verrett, which I really like. I think Verrett, if he can stay healthy and consistent, is one of the most underrated cornerbacks in the NFL. Look back at his time in San Diego when they were the San Diego Chargers. You can see how good he was. He's a first-round pick from TCU. If he can stay healthy, he'll be real. I love. I really like Jason Verrett. And putting an athletic corner like Farley there, who's extremely raw, would be very fun to watch in San Francisco. I think they they could. They probably will be looking at a quarterback at some point. 
But the thing that kept me away from quarterback in this draft was they need help at corner. Jimmy G, if he can stay healthy, he's a really good quarterback. Or really, he's a good quarterback. They win a lot of games with Jimmy G, I'll say that. Three, they just re-signed Josh Rosen. Maybe, this is a big maybe, maybe they like Josh Rosen just enough to give him an opportunity to eventually be their starter. And then four, I think they'll probably go after someone in the later rounds. Like Kellen Mond seems like a 49er. Davis Mills, Stanford guy. Maybe even Kyle Trask, but I don't see I don't really see Kyle Trask going to San Francisco. I think it's between Davis Mills and Kellen Mond for the later round draft picks. But if Farley's there, take him. Now, if you really value one of these quarterbacks like Justin Fields, I think would be awesome in San Francisco. They've worked together this offseason, Shanahan and Justin Fields, so that'd be really cool to see and makes sense. There's a few things that are keeping me away from that. I d I don't know. It's I was so wishy-washy with the 49ers quarterback situation. I think there's five other teams I think are more likely to get quarterbacks than the five that I had drafting quarterbacks. And the Jaguars, Jets, Panthers, Falcons, and Patriots. I was more comfortable with that than the 49ers. 13, the Chargers taking Jalen Waddell. Now, they don't need Jalen Waddell. I'd just like to say that. They don't need Jalen Waddell. The thing they need is offensive alignment. But they have done a good job at getting off to Lyman this offseason. They got Corey Lindsley from the Green Bay Packers. They got Matt Filer from the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's two stars right there. And Oday Abushi from the Detroit Lions, another guard. So that's three stars in the offensive line right there. If a guy like Jalen Waddell, and you're in a division with Tyreek Hill and to a lesser extent, Henry Ruggs, it'd be hard to pass on Jalen Waddell. The Chargers receiving room, you got two very good wide. You got one very, very good wide receiver in Keenan Allen, and a good wide receiver in Mike Williams, and then a few average wide receivers at the back end of your roster. Yeah, they put up some good performances last year, but if you can get Jalen Waddle on your roster for Justin Herbert, so the Chargers' offense is Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler at running back, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams out wide, Jalen freaking Waddle in the slot, and Jared Cook at tight end. That's an awesome offense. And the defense could stay healthy. They'd be a very good team. I'm excited to see what Brandon Stanley, Staley will do with his defense. Because obviously him and the Los Angeles Rams put together the best defense in the NFL last year. The Chargers, I will say this till I die. I hope, uh, I don't know, the Chargers defense could change by the time I, before I die. I don't know, hopefully not. Uh, if they can stay healthy... The Chargers' defense is very, very good. They just cut Casey Hayward, which is kind of sad to see, but Derwin James needs to stay healthy. Joey Bosa stays healthy. They got a lot of other really talented players on that defensive side of the ball that could stay healthy. They'll be good, and Jalen Waddell might be too good of a player to pass up for the Chargers. That's the situation I'm kind of setting here in right now. Jalen Waddell will be awesome for the Chargers' offense with Justin Herbert. 14, the Vikings, Quiddy Pay, similar to that to the Chargers. I know the Vikings need off the lineman, but Mike Zimmer literally said after they lost to the Saints, got genetically jackhammered by Alvin Kamara, this is the worst defense I've ever coached. Mike Zimmer, in his time in Minnesota, has always had good off the lineman. He's always built the front four, the front four first. That's what he's always liked to do. Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, that was their group for a while. Now it's Daniel Hunter who is threatening a hop, a holdout. 
So then you got nobody. You were near the bottom, if not the bottom of the league in sacks last year. I need to recheck that. I know they were either last or near the bottom. Well, I know they were near the bottom. I don't know if they were exactly last. But Quiddy Pay, I've had Gregory Rousseau going here before. I think Quiddy Pay's speed and athleticism makes him a very desirable defensive end. He may not have the production of Gregory Rousseau, who also has the length on Pay, but Pay's quickness, athleticism, his burst, his bend is really good. And when, uh, there are some people out there that said that he got played out of, somewhat out of position at Michigan. So if that's the case, that might be why his production was down the most last year and the years before. Like if you look at all the other first-round edge rushers, he's had the least amount of production, but he's probably got the highest upside. So I think the Vikings could go after an edge rusher here and possibly take a guard or attack with the guards in this draft, you can get a good one in the second round. There's some good interior linemen that will follow the second round. Wyatt Davis, Trey Smith from Tennessee, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, Deontay Brown from Alabama, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. There's some good offensive linemen. Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Like There's some good offensive linemen you can get in day two. So don't stretch. But if you can think you can get a top-level edge rusher, which is something your defense needed a ton last year, do it. Mike Zimmer would love to upgrade his defense. As a defensive guy, it would make sense to do that. 15, the Broncos, Micah Parsons. They screwed up my draft when they signed Kyle Fuller. (laughs) I'm not surprised. They signed Kyle Fuller, Vic Fangio, defensive coordinator for the Bears. Kyle Fuller, former Bears cornerback, goes to the Denver Broncos, be under his coach again. That was their obvious need. They were going to draft a corner if they didn't have Kyle, Kyle Fuller. Now, another position I think the Broncos would do well in drafting is a linebacker. Vic Fangio, in his last draft of the Chicago Bears, was Roquan Smith, who has done very, very well for the Chicago Bears since coming out. Along with Cleo Mack, Roquan Smith has helped kind of transform or push in a new era of Chicago Bears defense that we hadn't seen in a while since Briggs and Erlacher retired. They could get the same thing out of Micah Parsons. Now, There's character concerns there, possibly character concerns. So if they draft him, that means they've done their due diligence and have definitively definitively said his character concerns are not an issue, are not a concern, I guess I should say. But they need something on, I think Vic Fangio would love to draft something on defense here. There is a chance, I think there's a chance they draft a quarterback in this draft. Because they have been linked with a lot of quarterbacks this offseason. But according to Daniel Jeremiah, stay woke on the Sam Darnold move to Denver. Stay woke on that one. Make sure to watch Sam Darnold wherever he goes. So, yeah, it'd be really fun. But I think trading back and getting a linebacker would be best served in Denver's interest. Then trading for like a Sam Darnold or someone like that. Arizona at 16, J.C. Horn. They're going to take the best corner available. J.C. Horn's the best one here. Patrick Peterson, we already knew he was going to be gone, but he went off to Minnesota, which was kind of surprising, but we knew he was gone. We knew Patrick Peterson was going to leave. J.C. Horn, hopefully, for Cardinals fans' sake, would replace Patrick Peterson eventually because Patrick Peterson, I don't think fully replaced Patrick Peterson because he's one of the most underrated corners of the 21st century. Of this generation of football players, He's one of the most underrated, I'm not even going to say corner, players of his generation. 
Patrick Peterson was a lockdown, or was, still is, a lockdown corner. And it's going to be hard to replace that. But J.C. Horn has the skill set, the size, the playing ability to hopefully fill the gap left by a Cardinals legend in Patrick Peterson. 17, the Raiders, Elijah Vera Tucker, they've traded away or cut three starters on the offensive line. Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, and Rodney Hudson are all gone. That's three starters on the offensive line. Now, it would not be shocking to me if the Raiders decided to overdraft on a defensive player, like a linebacker, someone that we didn't expect to go before what they did, but you know what? That's what they do. Man, I think they would love to draft a guy like Micah Parsons coming from linebacker U. They love to draft these top-level programs, especially since Mike Mayock's been there. But Vera Tucker, I think, can fill... He wears multiple hats, say it like that. He's very similar to uh, Rashawn Slater in the fact that he can play both guard and tackle, Played left tackle at USC. He's from Oakland, which I also found out when I was making this. And the NFL, every once in a while, likes to do these comeback-home stories. And I know they're not in Oakland now, but they played there. I'm sure he grew up a Raiders fan. So going to play for the Las Vegas Raiders would be a very cool and emotional moment for Elijah Vera Tucker. But he would slot in any spot on that offensive line. You cut their trade. Three starters on the O-line you got to replace him. You can't go that long without replacing one of your starters on the offensive line. That's, I don't know. I can't see them doing that. I think Vera Tucker would just make too much sense for the Raiders. Now, that being said, I do think there's a chance that you could flip the Vikings pick and the Raiders pick. Vera Tucker going to the Vikings. Quiddy Pay going to the Raiders. I think it's very possible. They did get Yannick Ngakwe this offseason, so I think they can get another edge rusher later in the draft. But we'll see. We'll time, time will tell. 18, the Miami Dolphins taking Jeremiah Wosu koromoa I just think Brian Flores would have a heyday with Koromoa at linebacker. He's six foot one, 215 pounds. He runs all over the field. Can, he literally plays everywhere on the football field. He's a do-everything linebacker that quote-unquote do-everything. Like, literally, he can do everything. He can play safety. He can play linebacker. He can rush the passer. He can do whatever you freaking want. And that just seems, that just seems perfect. For Brian Flores in that Dolphins defense. Now, getting an offensive lineman here would also make a lot of sense. Protect Tua. Or you could draft the alignment first and get a receiver like Kadarius Tony right here. Both would make sense. But I think Koromoa would make he's just he would be too much of a playmaker to pass up if you're the Miami Dolphins. 19, the Washington football team take Christian Darasaw, the tackle from Virginia Tech. Local kid, again, it's kind of a trend here, unintentional trend here, because we had Derisaw now from that area, Elijah Vera Tucker from Oakland, and what was the other one we said? We had one other, <laughs> Kyle Pitts to Philly. It's another situation where you have a local kid coming back to his team. But they need off to linemen. I did, before I changed it, I did have Zayvon Collins going here. I think uh, Jeremiah Wosu koromo would make a lot of sense going here as well, because when Ron Rivera was in Carolina, he had a linebacker by the name of Shaq Thompson from Washington, who was that linebacker that played multiple positions. That's Zayvon Collins and Elijah, uh, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa. Now, two completely different body types here. Zayvon Collins like 6'4", 260, Koromoa 6'1", 215, maybe. But that versatility at the linebacker spot, I think would be awesome for Ron Rivera and his defense. But 
if there's a lineman like Christian Derrissaw. Now, in that situation, Derrissaw was not available. If Derrissaw's available, I find it hard to believe that the Washington football team would pass on a left tackle, which they haven't really replaced since Trent Williams left, since he traded him to San Francisco. I think this would be a very smart move for the Washington football team. Number 20, the Bears. They got their franchise quarterback. Now they got to protect him. And Andy Dalton. And Zavin, or Tevin Jenkins is a freaking monster at right tackle. They can play him at right tackle or left tackle. There's a lot of fluidity fluidity in offensive tackles nowadays. You're not set to one side anymore. Over the past few seasons, we have seen that the birth of the swing tackle, I guess you could say, where offensive linemen are adjusting to play both right and left tackle. Like Colton Miller. He's back. Wait, was he left tackle for the Raiders or was Trent Brown left tackle? I think they moved Trent Colton Miller to left tackle from right tackle. Orlando Brown was left tackle Oklahoma, played right tackle for the Ravens, played right left tackle this past season with Ronnie Stanley being out. Jedrick Wills was a right tackle at Alabama, left tackle for the Cleveland Browns. Like, it happens now. So these right tackles that are getting drafted in this draft, like Tevin Jenkins and... Jalen Mayfield, just to, to, two to think of at the top of my head. They're right tackles, but I don't see them having any problems transitioning to left tackle. Now you just got to do the footwork in reverse. That's easier said than done, but I think it can happen. Now if you want to play him at right tackle, go ahead. The Bears looked like they wanted to develop some sort of a running game last year. David Montgomery rushed for over 1,000 yards. Tevin Jenkins was a part of an offensive line that, paid, that steamrolled holes for Chubba Hubbard at Oklahoma State when he rushed for 2,000 yards two seasons ago. Like, I would love to see Tevin Jenkins go here. This might be a little high for Tevin Jenkins, but I think his size and his run, just overall blocking ability, not just as a run blocker, even though that's probably his best attribute, his pass blocking is very good as well as size, can keep people off of him, which is very, very nice for off to tackle, which is what they look for in scouting. The arm length is very big for offensive linemen nowadays. I think that I think they need a draft offensive lineman. I think receiver could make sense, but offensive lineman I think is the Bears' bigger need here. Colts, 21, Gregory Rousseau, the defensive end from Miami. Same pick as last time. Need some edge rushing help. It's one of their bigger needs on the roster. Rousseau has the size, length, speed to get after the passer. And that'd be a very long defensive line with the Forrest Buckner already there. I think it's be an awesome pick for the Indianapolis Colts. Tennessee Titans, Greg Newsome, the cornerback from Northwestern. Last year, okay, I'm just going to read out the stats for you. The Titans gave up the fifth most yards, 6,300 yards, averaging 398.3 yards per game given up, and the fourth most passing yards, 4,500 yards, giving up 277.4 yards per game. This offseason as well, after giving up that many yards, they cut both of their starting corners. I think this says I think they have a hole right here. <laughs> I did now. I will say this: with the Broncos signing Kendall, Kyle Fuller, that made me change my mock draft a little bit. Made me change it around a little bit. This was one of them. I had Kadarius Tony going here when I first did it. I still have the reasoning saved for Kadarius Tony on my Google Drive just in case I need to change or keep it for a later date for my next mock draft if I want to do that. Because you lost Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, Jonu Smith. That's three of your top four leading receivers last year gone. Makes sense to add a receiver to replace that. 
But you cut both of your starting corners. Your defense stinks. Get the best corner available, which is Greg Newsome, and then don't think twice about it. Number 23, the Jets take Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher from Georgia. Yeah. I think they just they just need help. On, they're going to need some help on defense. I refuse to believe new head coach Robert Sala, former defensive coordinator for the 49ers, would not come away with one defensive player in this draft. Not, not in the draft. First round. What did they do with the, with the San Francisco 49ers? How did they get to go to the Super Bowl eventually? They built the defensive line. The Washington football team are following that similar mold, and it worked out very well last year on the defensive side of the ball. It just needs quite a bit of work, but Aziz Ojolari is the next best edge rusher in this draft. More of an outside linebacker, a little bit smaller, but him along with Quiddy Pay are the two most athletic defensive ends in this draft. And Aziz Ojolari has been rising up boards ever since the beginning of last season. Now he's a pretty much guaranteed first-round draft pick, and I think that's awesome to see. I think he'd be awesome for the New York Jets. 24, the Steelers, Najee Harris, they have no running game. I know Mike Tomlin would love to establish a running game, and Najee Harris would provide that. Now, they don't have a vast history of drafting running backs in the first round. I think Rashad Mendenhall was the last one, and a first one in a while, if I remember correctly. It was like Mendenhall and Franco Harris before that. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that, but I think they might end it here. Now, James Conner is a free agent, and he had one good year in Pittsburgh. The rest of it, he's battled injuries throughout and consistency. Big thing, consistency and injuries. Najee Harris comes in that similar mold. Now, I'm not saying he is this player, but a similar mold of Le'Veon Bell, where he's a bigger running back. Le'Veon Bell was six foot two or six one, somewhere around there, 225. Najee Harris is 6'2", 230, and is an athletic freak. He made plays catching the ball in the backfield this year for Alabama with Jalen Wild getting out hurt. They had to do something in the pass game with Najee Harris, and they did that beautifully. Beautifully. His yards went up by over 120 yards, which is awesome to hear for your starting running back. Now, again, I'm not saying he is Le'Veon Bell, but he might be able to provide a similar skill set to the Steelers as Le'Veon Bell. Offensive line's a big need here, but I think Mike Tom would love to establish somewhat of a running game. I've seen Travis Etienne linked here recently, but I would love to see Najee Harris go to Pittsburgh. I just think it, the fit makes too much sense for me. 25, the Jaguars taking Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama. So I've kept this one pretty consistent throughout my mock drafts. I think this one, along with Trevor Lawrence, has been my only consistent, my one theme throughout my mock draft. So Jaguars, I'm pretty confident in what your guys are drafting. Now, I've seen Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU, going here quite a bit. But the thing that I've seen that has been very big in my mind for why I keep putting Barmore here, Jaguars' rush defense sucks. Barmore improved that. He'd also provide a pass rush from the interior defensive line spot. But earlier this month, Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer said, I always believe you build your team around the defensive line, and then you move backwards. So that's what we're going to do. You don't say that and then draft safeties. Now they could. They could very well do that, but I think that's backwards. They haven't really addressed the defensive line. I think they do that in the draft and get a guy like Christian Barmore. I am fairly confident. I think in all four of my mock drafts, I have Trevor Lawrence and Christian Barmore going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm pretty confident that's been all of my mock drafts. Trevor Lawrence won, Barmore 25. 
I think that's going to happen. I might keep that the entire time as we get up closer to the draft. I just think that's too obvious not to happen. Urban Meyer literally said we build from the defensive line. You don't have any defense alignment. <laughs> Your rush defense sucks. Yes, you could do it with a safety like Moring, but you need help on the defensive line. If you go by your quote, draft Christian Barmore. 26, the Browns changed it up a little bit. Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher from Miami. Now, this one, I think, fit or uh, position-wise makes a ton of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense to me at first, but after like digging into it a little bit more and seeing free agency happen, this is where I've kind of come up with this conclusion. The Browns, two of their defensive ends are free agents. Olivier Vernon and Adrian, Adrian Claiborne. Almost said Adrian Peterson. Vernon is coming off a torn Achilles, so they ain't going to re-sign him. I'm pretty confident in that. And they ain't going to sign Claiborne. So if you look at their stat numbers, sack numbers, those three defensive ends were the only DNs on their entire roster that recorded sacks. The rest were D-linemen and linebackers. Defensive tackles and linebackers. The Browns have to go after somebody like a Phillips... Though he has an injury history, you have to go after a defensive end. Zayvon Collins makes a lot of sense. Linebacker, they need linebacker, can play defensive end as well. He'd be a great overall fit for the Browns. But if we want a pure edge rusher, getting after the passer, which is something other than Miles Garrett we have struggled at doing, get Jalen Phillips. Corners are going to be at corner and safety are going to be talked about a lot. but Because that got brought up a ton last season. Like, oh, they're... Their secondary sucks. It's their weak point of their team. Well, one of the most underrated corners in the league, Denzel Moore, was out for a period of time. Greedy Williams, the second-year corner, was out the entire season. Second-round draft pick, Grant Delpit, was out for the entire season. And then you just signed John Johnson as your other safety. So that's, that's a whole new secondary, essentially. A healthy Denzel Moore, healthy Greedy Williams, healthy Grant Delpit, and a new John Johnson, that's your secondary. So we don't we shouldn't bash it too much. They were battling a ton of injuries last year. Jalen Phillips would help solidify their defensive line even more, give Miles Garrett another edge rush partner. Should be beautiful to see. The Ravens, Trayvon Morig, number seven, 27. The Ravens would like a playmaker on defense. Their defense in the mid-2000s was Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. I know we got the 2000s Ravens, which is statistically a better defense, but Ed Reed, to me, I don't really think this is debatable, but some people like to do this debate, is the greatest safety of my lifetime, and I would even argue the greatest safety of all time is Ed Reed. One thing I loved about Ed Reed was that he tried to score every single time he had the ball. Whether it was him scoring or not, he was trying to put his teammates in position to score if he got the ball, which he got the ball quite a bit as a safety. He's the only person, only player I've ever seen Bill Belichick and Tom Brady actually fear. Other than that, I don't think they feared anybody else. They have talked at nauseum about how great Ed Reed is. Ed Reed was awesome. He's one of my favorite players of all time. The Ravens tried to replace Ed Reed with Earl Thomas. That didn't work out. And I know they need wide receivers here, but again, this receiver class is extremely deep, so you don't need to necessarily worry about it a ton in the first round. Now you could worry about it in the first round, but again, you don't have to. There's a very good chance they do end up drafting a wide receiver. But I think getting a guy like Mo Riggin here would give you that player that would, what you would get, what you thought when you were getting Earl Thomas. That's what I get when you see Trayvon Mo Rig here going to the, the 
Baltimore Ravens. I almost forgot what their name was. And then I've also seen him compared to that of Derwin James, the safety from the Chargers, hopefully a healthy version of Derwin James. Like, their numbers are extremely similar as well. Moerig ran a 4-5-40. Derwin James ran a 4-4-7-40. They have abilities. Both of them have abilities to make plays all over the defense. Derwin James has abilities to do everything on defense. He can play a deep-lying safety. He can also play up and rush the passer. Mora can do the same thing. He's the best center fielder in this draft. He's also extremely versatile and can do all those other little things that you asked of him. That's why I think he fits in Baltimore. He just seems like a Ravens pick, doesn't he? Just seems like that. The Saints at 28, Kadarius Toney, wide receiver in Florida. Other than Michael Thomas, they don't really have a lot of wide receivers. I mean, they have numbers of wide receivers, but I'm talking about players that you'd actually fear a little bit. Manuel Sanders went up to the Buffalo Bills. Jared Cook just went to the Chargers. Other than that, I mean, Alvin Kamara is a great wide receiver. I'm not going to take anything away from Alvin Kamara as a running back and a wide receiver. Michael Thomas was injured all of last season, essentially. Kadarius Toney can do literally everything for an offense. Literally, he he's put up good numbers in every statistical category. He told 120 receptions for 50, over almost 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns. 66 rush attempts, 580 rushing yards, and scores on the ground. And averaged 21.6 yards per kick return, 11.3 yards per punt return, scoring on a punt return touchdown. He also threw a football, 3 for 6, 82 yards, and a passing touchdown. Duke can do everything. There's plays that Kadarius Toney had where it's like, how the hell did he get out of that situation and score a touchdown? Not just get out of it, but score a touchdown. I think a player like that, is something Sean Payton would love to have in his offense. Where With Jameis Winston there, I think he'd be very, 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 very fun to watch down in New Orleans. And I'll give you this right now. I think he's going to be, at least in this mock draft, he's the last wide receiver taken in the first round. Now, Terrace Marshall could sneak in there as well, Rashad Bateman, but at this point in time, I think it's Kadarius Toney, and that's it. Uh, the Packers are 29, Zayvon Collins. Again, do everything linebacker. So I guess Shaq Thompson, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, but bigger. He's a big dude, 6'4", 260. He is a linebacker in a defensive end's body that plays like a safety. That's what they've compared him as. And that would be awesome for the Packers and their defense. They got a new defensive coordinator in there. I think he'd love to have a guy like Zayvon Collins on defense. They let Blake Martinez go for essentially nothing. Just let him go to the New York Giants. Didn't replace him. And he can do everything, literally. If you want to play him at linebacker, good. Play him at edge rusher, good. If you're daring enough to play him at safety, do that. He can do everything. And with the Packers, I think they just need help in defense. I think they're going to go after defense in the first round of the draft. Whether that's corner, whether that's linebacker, I've seen safety here sometimes. But Zayvon Collins would be awesome if he fell to 29 to the Packers. Number 30. The Buffalo Bills taking Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson. This is one of my favorite players in the draft. I love Travis Etienne. He's been one of my favorite running backs for a few years now just because what he can do for an offense. And every year he was at Clemson. This is why he kept coming back, and people were questioning why he can't keep coming back. He improved as a receiver every single year and now is considered, widely considered, and rightfully so, the best dual-threat running back in this draft, as a massive threat in the run game as well as the pass game, has been compared to Alvin Kamara, which should make NFL fans salivate for it because <laughs> you know, you would love a player like Alvin Kamara on your team. 
Love a player like Alvin Kamara. I've seen him compared to Jamal Charles as well. And if you look at what he could do for the Buffalo Bills, they have, like, literally, they have re-signed all the key free agents that I did not think they'd get back. Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, and Matt Milano. I thought they'd get Feliciano and Matt Milano back. I did not think they'd get Williams back. They did. So this kind of narrows down their draft pick to either Travis Etienne or a corner. I think that's the only two positions they're looking for. They could go after D tackle, but I don't. That doesn't really seem like them right now. Stars coming back, so I think they'll look for that later. I think corner and running back are two options here. I mean, an edge rusher, edge rusher as well. They need help on the edge. But Etienne would be awesome for the Bills. Remember Thurman Thomas? I know, I know, if you do, but. Thurman Thomas, for that K-Gun offense, made that offense click. He made them go. He's similar to that of Marshall Falk as well. Can split out wide. Can be getting a receiving threat out of the backfield as well. Whatever you need Etienne to be, he'll do it. I think he'd unlock the Bills offense even more than what it was this past year. 31, Jalen Mayfield to the Chiefs. Inexperience, I think is a big word here. He has the least amount of starts. He only played 15 games in college, which is basically a season for like Alabama but he's gone up against some very good very very good edge rushers and I think he'll be 20 by the time the draft rolls around so the Chiefs need off to linemen they need tackles more in particular because they cut Mitchell Schwartz cut Eric Fisher sign Kyle Long they signed Joe Tooney they need tackles and Jalen Mayfield can play both right and left tackles again he's a swing tackle can play both played right tackle in college I don't think he'd have a problem moving to left tackle he's very athletic for a tackle they need off. They're going to draft a tackle. They have to draft a tackle. I refuse to believe the Chiefs are drafting anything else but an offensive lineman here. And Jalen Mayfield, to me, is the best one available. Sam Cosme could be a pick here as well. He's more. We know what he is more than Jalen Mayfield, but I think Jalen Mayfield's upside will make him hard to pass on for the Chiefs. And then finally, the Buccaneers taking Eli, uh, Levi, Eli, Levi, Amuzaruki from Washington, the defensive tackle. They like themselves some Washington defensive tackles. They need help on the defensive line. Not help. They need to resupply it, I guess. They got Vitavea. Worked out pretty well. Get a guy like Anwuzuruki. Fill another hole. They got Shaq Barrett back. They got Chris Godwin back. I think this kind of narrows in what they're going to get. They got Levante David back as well, if I remember correctly. So you get a defensive tackle in there. And then you've got your situation figured out. So yeah, that's Mock Draft 4.0. Run back through that really quick. 1 through 32 really quick. Jacksonville Jaguars trade Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson goes second to the Jets. We have the Carolina Panthers trading up to 3 to select Justin Fields. Trey Lance going to the Falcons at 4. Panay Sewell to the Bengals at 5. Kyle Pitts to the Eagles at number 6. Lions take Jamar Chase at 7. Devontae Smith to the Dolphins at 8. Mac Jones to the Patriots at 9. Patches are tan to the Cowboys at 10. Giants take Rashawn Slater at number 11. Caleb Farley to the 49ers at 12. Jalen Marlowe to the Chargers at 13. Quiddy Pay to the Minnesota Vikings at 14. Micah Parsons to the Broncos at 15. J.C. Horn to the Cardinals at 16. Elijah Vera Tucker goes to the Raiders at 17. Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, the linebacker, goes to Miami Dolphins at 18. Christian Derisaw goes to the Washington football team at 19. Bears take Tevin Jenkins at 20. Colts take Gregory Rousseau at 21. Dre New- Greg Newsom the second goes to the Titans at 22. Aziz Ojolari goes to the Jets at 23. Najee Harris, the Steelers at 24. At 25, the Jaguars take ba- Christian Barmore. Jalen Mayfield goes to the Browns at 26. Trayvon Morig goes to the Ravens at 27. 
28, the Saints take Kadarius Toney. 29, the Packers take Zayvon Collins. Bills take Travis Etienne at number 30. Jalen Mayfield goes to the Chiefs at 31. And Levi Onruzaruki goes to the Buccaneers at 32. So all in all, that is five quarterbacks, two running backs, four wide receivers, one tight end, five tackles, one interior lineman, four edge rushers, two D tackles, three linebackers, four corners, and one safety. Every position is covered in this draft. So that's all I've got for you on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you go and watch Mock Draft Minute on YouTube. Go subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show YouTube channel. Go and follow Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I will see you all later. Have a good rest. Have a good midweek. I'll see you all on Friday. Peace.